I was talking with someone the other day who's spent, he just locked himself up, took a course on this, spent five months building it, and he's now making over 100,000 a month from it. And it's like, he's built this whole thing in less than a year. Like, that's how powerful it is. It's a pain in the butt to build. It's hard work. But if you've already got enough money coming in to pay the bills and you want to build something huge, that's what it takes. That's how it works. This is just how it's done nowadays. Hey guys, my name is Michael Karshavsky and welcome to episode 16 of That Remote Show, where it's my job to interview location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the show, I'm joined by John Ainsworth, the founder of Data-Driven Marketing. John is someone who has worked with tons of clients, helping them perfect their digital marketing and scale their businesses, and in today's episode, we went deep. We talked about everything from how John manages to stay productive while traveling and why hiring remote employees is such high value, all the way to the process that John uses to build an email list when you're just getting started and how to create webinars that convert. If you're trying to build a business online, whether you're selling info products or your own services, uh, this is not an episode that you want to miss because we covered it all and John did not hold back. In this episode, uh, you're definitely going to want to check out the resources because John mentioned tons of books and courses uh, that he recommends to people who want to learn how to do all of this uh, and will help market your business. And you can find all of that plus the rest of the show notes over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 16. But all right, you guys, I will not make you wait any longer. Let's jump right into this episode with John Ainsworth from Data Driven Marketing. Hey, John. Welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk with you today because you've got tons of experience. Um, you run a company called uh, Data Driven Marketing, um, and you've helped tons of entrepreneurs out there grow their business with, with your marketing help. So. Before we jump in and learn all about marketing, I really want to hear, how did you get started in that whole online space? About, I guess it would have been 2008, I read the four-hour work week, same nice. as lots of people. That's the first <laughs> step, you know. It was it just come out or it was just about to come out and I heard Tim Ferriss get interviewed on, uh, on some podcast. And because uh, he wasn't very big yet, uh, he was giving a talk in London and I went down and saw him give a talk. He was uh, drunk off his face, chatting, chatting <laughs> nonsense. And uh, so that was kind of fun. But I was like, yeah, this man's got a point. This should be good. So I should do this. So I, uh, I made a plan. I quit my job in about a couple of months later, set up, uh, found a couple of clients through where I was working at the time. So people I was kind of doing stuff for um, in the company I worked for who wanted some more help, started working for them, and I was off. What were you doing like as your day job? Oh, I used to do, uh, I was like a uh, campaigns manager for a company or an organization called Sport England. And they are like the national organization for sport and activity in England. So what were you, what do you mean you were running campaigns for them? Like what were you doing? I was getting people from hard to reach groups into sport and activity. So disabled people, over 55s, people from different ethnic groups, um, all different kinds of groups who would tend to not be very active. 
I would run marketing campaigns to support them to get more active. It's not mm. easy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So you already kind of had training, you know, doing marketing and you just kind of took that and ran with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's the easiest way to get started, I think. It's like, you know, you take whatever you're doing already and you just go do that for somebody else, you know, just do it remotely for some people. For sure, for sure. What were those first couple of months like, you know, when you were getting started? It was fine. Yeah, because I'd set up, I'd already set up like the first six months of work before I left. So it was mm. like, just I was cracking on with work, still doing some more marketing, some more networking. It was fun. It was a lot better. I was like, I'm getting paid the same amount of money and I am uh, not having to go work in an office with a boss that I hate. I was delighted. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you, that's pretty crazy to me that you left a job and immediately jumping out, you were already making the same amount of money. That's that's pretty crazy. You know, that's not like what I experienced or what a lot of other people experience. What would be your tips in order to achieve that for other people? The people I've seen who've managed that has been when they've had like, uh, well, I've heard some people call like an anchor client. So like you leave mm. what you're currently doing, but you keep whoever your current, who, who your current uh, company that you work for is as a client. And that's kind of what I had. So I was doing this work for Sport England. But then uh, they partnered with various other organizations like the NHS, the Department of Health, that kind of thing. And so I, part of my job was helping all these other organizations. And so I, I said to them all, you know, like all, the, all my contacts, look, I'm leaving Sport England. So if you need any help still, then I'm going to be working freelance doing stuff. And so some of them were like, yeah, that would be great. We need some more help. We've got budgets for doing it. So it was like it was leveraging my existing contacts, my existing networks, people I'd already spent years building up relationships with. Uh, and that's how I managed to do it. It doesn't mean it was always easy after that, but that was like I got off to a great start then, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So you, once you left and you kind of started working on your own and things were going well, why keep working remotely? Why not get an office and hire on people like everybody else does? Uh, yeah, so you mean like why not like start an office myself mm -hmm. of my own? Yeah. Oh, because yeah, I had no interest in that. I wanted to. I wanted to be able to work from anywhere. It was funny because I basically set this up, set this whole thing up, so that I could work from anywhere. And then about a year later, I got a dog, and then I could no longer <laughs> work from. <laughs> so we basically didn't really do the whole four-hour work week, traveling the world thing, for like ten years. Um, so, but no, I just didn't really have much interest in that. I didn't want to. I didn't want to um, go myself to an office. I thought about it a couple of times. And I thought, would that be fun? Would that be nice like to have local staff? But you know what? It's really expensive. Like I'm in the UK and it's really expensive to hire good people in the UK. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go remote, especially around London, like I'm, I'm based just north of London, really expensive around here. Whereas if you, so I started out hiring people from elsewhere in the UK and then I branched out and started hiring people from in like Eastern Europe. And you can get, you can hire way better people there for the same amount of money or you know or pay less and get someone still really good and that made the real difference to me so um yeah that that was a big a big part of it is not having to just hire people from the surrounding area where i was plus i quite like i've got this weird lifestyle where i like um i'll work for like four hours in the morning and then i'll go to the gym and go for a walk and then come back and work some more and it just doesn't kind of fit with like going back and forth to an office mm -hmm. as well so I quite like um, just the flexibility. Plus, there's no commute at all. And if I move house, I don't have to also move office. So, yeah, all of those things, I just didn't really want to. You talked a little bit about, you just mentioned, you know, kind of how you like to work in the morning and then kind of chill out and then go work in the afternoon. Mm. What was like, 
what kind of you know learning period did you go through when you started working remotely like or did you go through <clears throat> excuse me through like a learning period where you had to relearn how to work remotely did you experience anything like that yeah i didn't ever have a problem with motivation if that's the kind of part that you mean like uh, i know that a lot of people that's the thing like um getting motivated to to work and that's why some people think they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to do it like i talk to people about this sometimes and they're like oh no if i didn't have a boss then i just wouldn't get anything <laughs> done i'd just sit in my pjs all day and I'm like, ha, huh, that doesn't really fit with me. Like, I'm super sure. motivated. So that's not kind of an issue. In terms of the what what work structure worked mm-hmm. for me, that was that took a lot of experimenting. Like, I've tried mm-hmm. all kinds of things, working longer hours, shorter hours, um, doing it all in one go, trying to do it like, you know, short, lots of little breaks throughout the day. And this is just kind of what's, what's ended up working for me. Um, I find that my best time for doing stuff is in the morning um and then in the afternoon i can i can still get work done but i'm not as focused i'm not as able to concentrate and get in the zone so in the afternoon i tend to do more like phone calls and meetings and email and that kind of thing and i've come across quite a few other people who say the same the same kind of thing but yeah it's been for me loads of experimenting yeah i have found the same thing there's actually a book called um the productivity project by chris bailey i think i might be butchering that, that. But... yeah is he the one who tried like a different thing a day or week yeah or something like that yeah he's got this really interesting thing that he calls the biological prime time and it's basically like when you peak in focus and energy and he talks about how most people experience you know while you have a peak kind of in the morning most people experience like a downturn in the afternoon and so that's like exactly what he says is you know that's the time to like you know schedule things that naturally are more energetic like you know like doing phone calls or whatever it may be but yeah what were you know some of the other things that you experimented with in order to kind of like perfect like your lifestyle at at the moment i wouldn't know if i perfected it but um (laughs) well i've (laughs) i've tried doing i know okay well so one of the things i do is i journal every day on like what did i notice what lessons did i learn today what things worked well and I try then at the end of each week to review all of that and to go, right, whatever worked well, let me try doing a bit more of that. And whatever I've learned in terms of what didn't work, let me try doing a bit less of that and tweak it that way. And so one of the things I've noticed there is I don't deal great with more than a couple of calls a day. So I've mm. got, uh, you know, Calendly set up so that it should only schedule two calls per day. So that's like, you know, kind of keeps that kind of limited to throughout the week. And then I've blocked out times where I'm like, right, this is where I'm best at being productive so i'll turn off slack i'll turn off email um and i'll i'll uh, not and i have it booked out as busy so nobody can book any meetings so that i can crank stuff out and get things done so it's been yeah what else have i tried that didn't work i tried i tried doing much longer hours because i was like oh i'm really motivated let me just work more and get more done and i would find that after like a week sometimes even less depending on how many hours i tried to do I would just end up being way less productive mm-hmm. because I was like just getting tired from it and I was trying too hard to do stuff and not kind of being smart about how can I get other people to do stuff for me, you know, outsource things, create systems, that kind of thing. Um, I tried going down to only working four hours a day and that was kind of weird, but that was like, <laughs> it was quite good. And I, they were four super productive hours but I found like I, I still can get a bit more done if I do like the, the other two or three less productive hours, but just keep working on them. Um, I tried working on weekends 
Uh, and I so uh, I kind of ditched that eventually because I found I never really recovered properly. So mm. now I'll do like a lot of personal development work on weekends, a lot of meditation, journaling, taking training, that kind of thing. So yeah, I don't know what else, but yeah, a lot of a lot of different tests. Yeah, it's interesting because there is like you know people who talk about you know they work they work like 10, 12 hours. But then if you give yourself like very long hours to work in, sometimes like the work can almost somehow magically fill up all that space, even if yeah, you yeah, yeah. were actually, you know, giving yourself less time. So yeah. yeah, that, that happens sometimes. Now, you know, what, how has, you know, working remotely impacted your lifestyle? So you talked about, you know, that you've tried to work, you know, on the weekends, do you find it difficult to kind of like shut off? Or like, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, what yeah. is your like work-life balance like? Yeah, well, nowadays what I do is I do uh, 7 till 11 in the morning and then I do 2 till 5 probably in the afternoon. So what does that come to? That's like seven hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I do struggle to, sh- uh, to switch off. I do a lot of um, like meditating in the afternoon after work to just try and calm my brain down again like my brain will be going at like a hundred miles an hour and I just have to sit really quietly and just slowly calm it down again to try and get to that point where um where it's I'm not just thinking about work and thinking about getting stuff done so that takes a lot of a lot of focus in order to kind of a lot of discipline to make that happen um and then what I tend to do now is like yeah weekends is mostly for uh, going out and having fun. Like I was, um, I was just, just been off for like four months working from different places. So we were down in the Canary Islands, just off the coast of Africa during mm. the winter. Cause winter in England is a bit <laughs> rotten, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. gray and miserable and wet. And so we worked from down in Tenerife and that was just amazing. It was beautiful every day. We're right by these parks. And so what we try and do is like, in terms of that, you ask about the work-life balance, like every time we had a break, we would go and do something that was really nice. So we'd have like, right, we've got a half hour break, we're gonna go for a half hour walk along the beach. And so every little break, every little bit when we weren't working was really nice and really enjoyable. And then the weekends we'd go off exploring and go check out the island, that kind of thing. So trying to just make, cause I'm a little bit obsessed with work, I try and make sure that all those times that I'm not working are like filled with something that's really fun, really enjoyable. Or beautiful or something like that so that I'm still getting you know enough stuff away from work uh, even if I'm going to go back into do more of it later yeah if you're like I'm totally sounds like kind of like you like I'm kind of work obsessed like that's like what's constantly running through my mind so if I'm not out doing something fun and like you know to like engage me my mind will just still be running constantly so yeah. you need to like get out and you know do something fun what was life like in Tenerife you know Tons of people talk about, you know, that place as being like an amazing place to be a digital nomad. What did you think about it? Like what would be, you know, your top comments on it? It was like a work, it was like a retreat for us. You know, people go away on these retreats. I've never done it myself officially, but like people go on these retreats and they will, you know, be doing um, group stuff about meditation and personal development and they'll get away from technology and what have you. It was kind of like that because we didn't know anybody down there. We were off in the sticks. We were off in a little fishing village, um, like towards the south end of the island. We didn't really know anybody. There's some nice bars and restaurants, but that was kind of about it. We're next to a national park. So we would just like, we'd watch the sunsets and the sunrises. We would go walking through these parks. Um, and it was just like, 
it was probably one of my most productive times. And it was also one of the times when I was like the most calm and the most centered from it. And then after that, we went off to like, um, uh, Gran Canaria in, in um, Las, how much Las, Palmas. Las Palmas in Gran Canaria. Yeah. yeah. And that was like much busier. We're in a city. It's like a few hundred thousand people. There's tons of stuff going on. Um, met up with loads of people and I was like, Oh, that's fun meeting up with all those people. But I definitely noticed that I started to move away from that feeling of just kind of calm and centeredness and much more towards like a head started kind of buzzing again from it. So for me, I, I don't know if we'll do it again for like two months out somewhere like that, but we might do because it was really nice. It was really mm. nice. Yeah, it's good to get away sometimes. Now, I'd really love to dive, dive in because I have you here and you're like an expert on, you know, tons of marketing things. So I really want to dive into and, you know, if, to the people who are listening to be as helpful as possible. Okay. So what if somebody's, you know, starting up their business right now? and looking to do marketing, what would be your top advice to them? Okay, so there's a there's a bunch of different things that you can do around marketing, right? There's a book called Traction, which covers like 22 different angles that you can take and how to figure out what's the right one for you. Mm -hmm. And um, what I found is kind of the best ways for getting stuff in quickly, especially if, you, if you're doing like freelancing uh, as a way to get started. Um, is that like is that where people in your audience tend to be at, or do you? A huge yeah, I would range say I would say most people start out in freelancing with some sort of service, and then try to, you know, move on to you know kind of like a more productized service sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say yeah, that that that's a good spot spot to start. So I'd say there's like a few top things that work when you're getting started that you can do quickly that, that maybe they don't work at a huge scale, but they work fast and they are really good for getting uh, work in when you're freelancing. Mm -hmm. So referrals, networking, um, strategic partnerships and uh, outbound marketing. So the four of those are, are quick and they're really great. And the ones that I prefer the most personally are um, referrals and networking. So trying to find like who is it that you know who could point work your way now you know loads of people already you've got you know loads of contacts but they probably don't know what it is that you're doing or what is you're offering or who your ideal client is so just making sure that everybody knows not necessarily like you could ask them for referrals but you don't even have to do that if just everybody knows this is what i'm doing right now this is who i'm trying to help this is the kinds of organizations i'm trying to reach reach back out and just make contact with everybody that you know, ask them about themselves, you know, like a use a Dale Carnegie, you know, win friends and influence people kind of approach and just mm. ask people about themselves and be nice and be friendly. And then also mention this is what I'm doing. And I found that tends to lead to referrals coming in. And then the networking side of it, just going and attending events and meeting people and like not necessarily pitching your services to them, but just building that network, finding the kind of people who are, who are likely to be hiring someone like you or to know those kinds of people and just getting yourself out there. And that I find, for me at least, tends to lead to a whole load of, of contacts coming in. Mm -hmm. And then when someone's referred you, the person who gets in touch after a referral is the easiest person to sell to because they're mm -hmm. already sold. They're already like, oh, I heard you're great from my friend Bob, can we have a chat about this thing? Super easy. So for me, those are kind of the two best things for when you're getting started. And sometimes some people feel a bit uncomfortable with doing some of that stuff, but um, I think you can do it in a really nice, really friendly, really helpful way. Mm -hmm. Then you, there's like, 
Oh, go on. Sorry. I was going to say, do you think that people should be posting about what they do on like social media? You know, I, I've seen them both ways where like some people are like, no, like I don't want to talk about that on social media. Do you feel like you should be in order to kind of get, you know, clients and stuff like that that way? Um, that's an interesting one. I never, I never really have done like the way that I use social media is if I, is I'll put out content about whatever it is mm. that I'm working on. And I'll kind of use that as a much more helpful, softly, softly kind of way to get people in. Like if people can see that I'm a top expert in this particular area, then they're more likely to get in touch if they need some help or um, or refer other people on to me. And I'm also providing value, not just saying, hey, if you need this thing, then get in touch. Like I don't really like doing stuff where it's not really providing value to the other people. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying about like, that kind of Dale Carnegie, Dale Carnegie approach of like asking about the other person first and really thinking about them and then kind of, by the way, mentioning what you do. Like the same thing with content marketing, like putting out really useful content about whatever it is that, you know, whatever topic you're working on. And then people get to know, oh, you're an expert in this area. And by the way, you know, you can also get in touch with me if you need some help. So that's the approach that I take. Mm -hmm. um, there's probably there's probably lots of other ways of doing it, but this that's kind of what works for me. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, should people, we hear a lot about, you know, building an email list and the fastest way to be in, to build an email list, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think people, when should somebody start building an email list? Okay, that's an interesting question. So, depends what you're trying to do, right? So, if mm -hmm. you are trying to sell something that's high, tick, like you're selling a service where you're doing something for people for like, $2,000 a month or 3000 or $5,000 a month. You don't need that many clients. You don't need that many people. An email list is not necessarily the top way to be getting those kinds of people in when you're first starting out. So I would say not to focus on that that, that much that early. Um, like make sure you're actually getting on the phone with people, getting on Skype, seeing people in person, building relationships. I, I would think is a much quicker way to get start getting some leads in. Once you've got to the point where, okay, you've got a website, you've got some traffic because you've been doing podcast interviews or you've been doing um, guest posts for other people and there's people now coming to your website, well, now you should start working on trying to you know, build up, uh, make sure you've got a way for those people to sign up to a list. But that's, I would say it's a little ways in uh, after you've started getting, you started getting some successes, you've started getting some clients already. So what you're saying is if you're going out to do services, right, and like freelancing, the, you shouldn't even worry about that. Just get those clients in, get that money coming into the door, and then as you kind of build up an audience online, then start kind of fostering that, that you know, email list. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my personal mm -hmm. approach for doing it. Like I've helped people do it uh, in different ways. Like I was um, working with someone at the moment, but – He's been, they've been going for a little while already. They wanted to get in some new clients. And so we're working on building like a whole automated webinar funnel that's going to include um, building up their email list as part of that whole process. But they're, they're, already, they're already up and running. You know, mm -hmm. they've already got a proven product market fit. They've already got a service they're delivering for people. They already know what that service looks like, how to describe it, how to talk about it. Like when you're starting out, You've, you've got an idea, right? Of I'm going to provide this service for these kinds of people or something like that. But 
you might be wrong. That might not be a good product market fit. It might be that, you know what, you try that and you go, oh, no, what I actually need is this other thing over here. If you've spent like a month working on setting up all your email automation and building out lead magnets and whatever, this kind of thing, and then it turns out you've got the wrong product market fit, you're going to have to redo it all anyway. That's why I like doing it super manually, talking to people, asking them about their problems, asking them about, you know, what's going on with them that they would like some help with. And then whenever they say they need some help, you go, oh, I could help you with that if you like. You know, and instantly you've kind of got a potential inquiry. Whereas, and you learn stuff. You learn that from talking with people and asking them questions and finding out what they're after. Much Which will faster. improve your marketing as well. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. You then know, okay, I know what to offer. I know who to offer it to. I know how to talk about it. I know what things they talk about as their pain points, what benefits they're interested in. Right. Now you've got that and you've got some clients through that. Now you can start thinking about setting up more traditional online marketing. But until you've got that right, you can set up all kinds of marketing and it, will, it won't work because it won't resonate with people. Mm, yeah, for sure. Now, what about, let's say that you've kind of crossed that threshold. You've, you know, you've done the research, you've talked with the clients, you've gotten those first couple of people in and now it's time to start building an email list. What in your experience has been the best way to build up that email list? Okay, so there's there's a few different kinds of funnels that I see working really well for people when they're doing like freelance services. There's um, outbound, inbound, and automated funnels. And so outbound marketing is where you just go and you scrape something from on the internet. You find who is it who could be the right kind of people. Let's say you do stuff for restaurants and you go on and you, you make a list of here's all the restaurants in the area. And you do outbound marketing. You... you email all of them and you set, you know, you maybe, uh, maybe you do websites for restaurants and you go through different local restaurants, you look at their website and you find, here's all the things that's wrong with it. You make a loom video for them and you send it to them. So that like gets you people who are interested and gets people kind of uh, signing up. Inbound is much more like the kind of thing where you're saying about there of like building up a, a, an email list of people who, are, who might be interested where you do guest posts, you do podcasts, you start putting stuff up on YouTube, you repurpose your content, you know, you create a video and then you create from that a podcast and then you create from that a blog post and some social media updates and then you get a VA to like put all of those out on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all these other places on a regular basis, you know, and that can work but it's going to take you six months till you start to get stuff coming in from it but that's going to build you up a nice warm list of people who are interested as long as you've then on your website got something for them to sign up, some reason for them to sign up for the for the email list. You like know, a you've lead got magnet? The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. The one, uh, the one that I do when I'm trying to build up that list and when I'm trying to make the whole thing work, because I, I've had such good success with it, is a webinar funnel. Mm. So there's a few different kinds of, of automated funnels you can do. There's um, email course funnels, there's VSL funnels or video sales letters and the webinar one's my favorite and the reason why is because you get a chance to do an out you basically have someone's attention for an hour you know you get them on the you get them onto your webinar if they stay through it then you've talked to them for an hour you can build up so much trust and so much rapport through that that it's just incredible and so you can use like what I tend to do is I'll use Facebook ads driving people to a landing page to sign up for the webinar they sign up, well, now they're on the email list if they attend or they don't. So that's already got me and my new email subscribers. Um, I'll also put the sign up for that on the or the link to the landing page on my um, on the homepage of the website as well. 
And um, so people sign up for that. They go and they, they can attend the webinar and listen in. You might run that a few times a week or something like that. And so that builds up that list of people who've attended the webinar. And so you build loads of rapport with them. Some of them are going to convert straight away to um, signing up for a call with you to be a client. Like that's the way you can use the webinar. At the end of it, you say, um, we're going to have a free, you can have a free strategy call. Or um, if you qualify, you can have a call with me. And you offer that as a way for people to sign up at the end. So that straight away is driving people to, to sign up and take part. The downside of that one is um, that, at least the way I run it normally, you need to be spending money on it. So you've got to be spending money on Facebook ads to drive the traffic through to the whole thing and, and, and make the whole thing work. And it takes a bunch of time to set it up. But it's so beautiful. It's <laughs> such it's such a cool funnel. It's amazing. So it basically, you end up with like, once you've got it running. So I, I um, ran a different agency before this where we were doing that work, getting people into physical activity. And so I built up a webinar funnel for that. And it, I eventually got it running completely on autopilot. And so I was running ads to it. People would register, they'd, they'd click through from the ads to the landing page, they'd register, they'd get sent confirmation email, they'd get sent uh, reminder emails, they would go to the webinar, the webinar would happen, they would sign up and book a call. And I wasn't involved in any of it. The entire thing happened automated so you use and recorded like, webinars mm -hmm. yeah I so mean, you're not, not doing start, them live you've got to start live but yeah mm -hmm. after a while you move over to recorded and do you tell people that they're recorded or do you let them think that it's live yeah you don't say that it's recorded but you also don't say that it's live mm. so you kind of, if people assume that it's live then that's fine you don't lie to them but you can let them assume that it is mm, okay i see gotcha yeah i've heard a lot about webinars and i've used them a little bit um but it definitely, I think it takes like figuring it out and kind of like mm -hmm. tweaking it until it works. Yeah, um, it took me six months of doing it live before I automated it. What were your, you know, your biggest tips that you found out in kind of like figuring it out and tweaking it? What you've got to have in a webinar is you've got to have one big idea. And this is crucial and it's like so often missed. People try and just teach a bunch of stuff. And then at the end of it, they hope that people will go, oh, that was great. I'm going to sign up with you and, and, and get you to help me with more stuff. No, what happens if you teach a bunch of stuff in it is people think, oh, that was great. Thanks. I'm going to go and take that stuff and I'm going to try and apply it. Mm -hmm. And so you lose a lot of people. It's much harder to get a bunch of different ideas through to people than just one. So what I like to do is figure out what's one big idea that if they believe it, at the end of this webinar, they're going to think, oh, I should totally hire John to help me with this. Mm. It takes a lot of figuring out and a lot of tweaking and a lot of talking to your audience to know what could that idea be. Like, for example, with those guys, I was running the ads, the, um, the webinar about um, getting people into physical activity. I was trying to convince the audience that, if, that Facebook ads was the best way of marketing physical activity to people from hard-to-reach groups. And if at the end they believed that, then they would have to think, Oh, great. Well, I don't know how to do Facebook ads, so I need to get John to help me with it. I wasn't teaching them how to do it. I was just trying to convince them of that one thing. So the entire webinar was about that one concept. So that's the first thing. Second thing is you need to figure out right, what pieces of content have you got in there. Russell Brunson talks about it as being um, the three secrets. That's the angle he likes to have on it. So you've got three main things you're teaching, but all of those things, you're not teaching how to do it. You're just trying to back up your main big idea. Then you've got to have um, you've got to have an offer. You've got to have a great offer for them. So whether that's going to be that you're going to get on the phone with them and help them to figure something out, 
or that they can sign up and buy something from you or what have you, it's it's got to be a great offer because otherwise why would they bother? Why would they sign up right now and not just think, oh, maybe I'll do that later? And then you've got to make sure that you've got a really strong, solid, simple call to action at the end of like, right, this is what you do next. It's not this or this or this. It's like, no, no, do this. This is what you should do and this is why. And then once you've got that, then you've got to practice like hell until you get really good at it. And that might right. mean doing it like 50 or 100 times or something, you know. So it's a bunch of work. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not easy. But once you get it working, it's like the most powerful marketing system that I know of. It's just amazing. Yeah. So what you're saying is, you know, don't record that first webinar that you run. Nah. You know, like, <laughs> those are all practice, right? It's like record, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the 10th or the 15th once you've already, it's a well-oiled machine. Uh, you talked about, you know, like you mentioned Facebook ads and that's kind of what you use to pour gasoline on the fire, you know. Uh, I hear from, I feel like people are split halfway, right? Like some people are like, oh, Facebook doesn't work. It's too late. It's crap. And then the, the other half talk about how amazing it is. What are the people who are saying that it's crap and it doesn't work? What are those people missing? What do you think people are doing wrong on Facebook now? Mostly the funnel is what they're missing like most of the time. So it's, it's hard to scale Facebook ads, right? It's a really hard job and there's a lot of work involved in it and you have to know what you're doing. Um, it's hard to, it's not that easy to run Facebook ads. There's a bunch of stuff you need to learn about it. You can take courses on it though. Like there's one from Molly Pittman uh, called Train Your Traffic Person. It's pretty new, it's really good. Um, there's one that she did before for Digital Marketer um, which is sometimes on sale for like $99 or something like that. You know, they do like a Black Friday sale and a, a sales other times of the year. But the new, her new one is uh, Train Your Traffic Person, and that's really good. So that will show you what to do to drive traffic. Now, when you come to scaling it, that's harder. That's that's the whole big job, and you don't need to know everything. That, that course will teach you enough. But what mm. people have is they'll drive traffic, but to what? Like, where are they sending those people? And most people are sending them to a really bad funnel. So there's a few things you need to have in place, like depending on what it is you're selling. Let's, are you talking about selling services or info products, or does it not kind of matter what? Um, let's say info products for this one. Okay. So most people trying to sell info products will send people to a, uh, let's say, a lead magnet, follow, um, and then after the lead magnet, they have maybe some emails that go out to those people, or maybe they sell them, send them straight to a, a sales page for something, and they just haven't put the work in to make it really fly, you know, to make it really high quality. So I'll try and describe to you like the ideal um, in cheap info product funnel. Because mm -hmm. if you're doing info products, there's two main funnels you can use. You can use the tripwire funnel or the webinar funnel. So the tripwire funnel is great for stuff under like two or $300, something like that. So you start off with, you send people through to um, a, a sales page for the tripwire and you have something dirt cheap. It's like $7, $17, maybe $27. But that has to be like top notch. You make that page awesome. You make the offer fantastic. You make it something really great. You learn about your audience. You learn about their language. You learn about the things that they want the most. You ask them questions, you get on the phone with them, you just do everything you can to understand and get into their head. And then you write that sales page using like, don't try and reinvent the wheel, use like Perry Belcher's 21 step sales page formula, something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I think you can Google it and get that for free. And that will show you like, right, here's the exact layout you need for your sales page. But you need to really understand your audience to do that. But then here's 
So even if people do that, the place they go wrong is they just stop there and they go, oh, I drove traffic to it and I made some sales and then that it wasn't enough to cover the cost of the ads. It's like, no, it would never work. That would never be enough. What you then need is on the confirmation page, after they sign up for that, you have to have um, some extra kind of order bump. You have something else that they can get, right? They've added that to the cart, great. What else could they get that goes along with that? They've bought something for $27 uh, that's like a course about something. Why not also sell them a workbook that goes with it or some other resources for another $7? That's gonna get you a little bit more money. That's gonna make it a bit closer to profitable. But then that's still not going to be enough. So now on the confirmation page after that, once they've signed up for that and they've put in their credit card details and they, you, they've signed up ready to buy that thing and maybe get the order bump, now you need an upsell. You need a more expensive version. What about the $197 version of this that's like a higher quality, you know, they're also going to get the video course, they're going to get a whole ton of other resources or templates or something else. Ideally, after that, you then have another offer of an upsell. Something else. Let's say they didn't like the first one and they clicked, no thanks, I don't want that. So now you have another offer of an upsell. And you have to test these. You might have to test 10 different versions of each of these. Once you get these working, right, you build that tripwire funnel. could take you months working on this. You build the perfect tripwire. You build the perfect order bump and the upsell and the next upsell. Now you're going to be making money from every sale straight away. And then afterwards, you set up an email um, sequence that goes out to those guys making them other offers of different things. Maybe it's affiliate stuff or maybe it's more things or that you've got live events. Maybe it's other products that are kind of similar that you've got. Well, now you've got something that's profitable straight away and then it's going to bring in more money for the rest of the year. Now you can drive Facebook, use Facebook ads to drive a lot of traffic to that. Now you can start to scale it. The other funnel is the webinar funnel. And the webinar funnel is for people who have something on sale for like $600 or up, like $1,000, $2,000, something like that. Now you can just send traffic straight through the webinar funnel. I'll, I'll put something up on my, um, on my website. Like, uh, if people go to datadrivenmarketing.co slash remote, I'll put up like a, a video explaining awesome. the ideal webinar funnel. Um, and that's basically, there's a, a, so much to the ideal webinar funnel. Like it, it takes a while to build the whole thing. But you basically have the landing page for people to sign up, the confirmation page, you have pre-webinar emails, you have the webinar if they don't attend, you have a replay that you point them to, you have retargeting ads at every stage. After that, you point them to your offer. If they don't get the offer, you have retargeting ads pointing them back to the sales page for that. And then you have a follow-up email sequence after that. So there's like all these steps. And that's like people who are making serious money online, that is what they're doing. Like I know people who are spending, you know, who've got a successful business and then are building a new info product funnel and they are spending like three, four months. That's what they'll do. Could be a year refining it. And they know that it's worth it because it could make them a million dollar business. I was talking with someone the other day who's spent, he just locked himself up, took a course on this, spent five months building it and he's now making over a hundred thousand a month from it. Wow. And it's like, He's built this whole thing in less than a year. Like that's how powerful it is. It's a pain in the butt to build. It's hard work. But if you've already got enough money coming in to pay the bills and you want to build something huge, that's what it takes. That's how it works. This is just how it's done nowadays. Mm, wow, that, that's awesome. Now, what is um, what's next for you guys? You know, what's next for you? What's next for the company? Well, so. I've got a team and my team can basically manage most of the delivery without me. Like I do some coaching for people. Um, so that's like one service I offer that I still do myself. Most of the delivery 
I've basically built up systems, templates, uh, SOPs, or standard operating procedures so that every single part of what we do can run without me. So I get uh, new clients coming in. I have a chat with them once they're signed up. Um, then the whole the team can do all the delivery, and they do a better job than I ever did. They're amazing. Like they're awesome. So now the question is, well, what's next? It's a really interesting one. Like, do we just start to expand and we do we take on more more clients and work out that way? Do we build our own funnels for you know for selling something that we come up with ourselves? Uh, do I partner with other people? I don't know yet. It'll be interesting. I'm figuring that one out. You know, there's all these kinds of options. But for now, what I'm doing is just continuing to refine our systems so that everything runs like super smoothly without me. Like I want it to be to the point where um, a lot of the marketing can run without me, the sales runs without me, delivery runs without me, and I can just go, okay, that's good. You guys keep going. I'm going to set up the next thing. So yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know yet, but it'll be fun. <laughs> where can uh, where can people find you online? Like, you know, if they hear this podcast and they're like, man, I've got to work with John, you know, where, where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, datadrivenmarketing.co. Okay. All right. Do you have like Twitter? Do you have Facebook or anything like that? Or well, people can email me, John at datadrivenmarketing.co. Um, I normally reply to everything, so happy cool. to do that. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, you know being on the show. I I learned a ton. I know people listening learned a ton too. So I want to thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, no worries, man. It's really good fun. Mm-hmm.